Hello, everyone. Good morning. I hope you guys are all doing well. I was told that this whole side in the next few weeks will be pretty empty with people going on vacation, going to Korea, going to Japan, all these things, but I'm glad you guys are are here with us. It's good to be back here after an awesome day of worship and fellowship at the park last week. Raise your hand if you were, were there worshiping with us in the park. Awesome. It was a good time. If you weren't there, you're gonna have to wait till next year, <laughs> next September probably. Um, but it's good to be back here uh, in in our church home. And today we're picking up right where we left off uh, before the before the park. We're gonna continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark uh, called Four People and Four Stories. Now remember, a few weeks ago, Pastor Eric began our series with the main kind of overall theme verse of, of the book and of our series, uh, Mark 1.15. It says that Jesus came onto the scene and began his public ministry with the declaration, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And so in, in all these stories, every week, we're going to see how it calls us to repent to change our minds, our our way of thinking, to turn from our ways and to believe the good news and follow Jesus and live in a whole new way that he calls us to live. Now, before we begin, I want to ask you a a question. If I asked you to to think about right now or, or write down a few words that define who you are, what would you say? Think about it for a second. Maybe some words that come to mind are mother, father, auntie, sister, right? Or maybe it's your occupation that comes up. Maybe it's doctor or lawyer, artist, musician, soccer player, I don't know. Maybe if you're in your college, it's your year, freshman, junior, sophomore, you know, that's how we kind of define ourselves. Maybe for you, it's a hobby that pops up. You're, you're true and true, like a, a baker at heart or a chef, or a Cal grad, right? or a Chiefs fan, anyone? No, just me. Maybe for you what popped up was Christian, or CLCer, IV person, AACF person. All these different things may have come up as I asked you that question. And it's true because all of these things make up part of your identity. They make up who you are, and they're all important. But I want to ask you a question. When I asked you that question, did anyone think of the word disciple? Would any of you uh, consider a core part of who you are a disciple, a disciple of Jesus Christ? That's okay if it didn't come up specifically. But as we dive into today's passage, I invite you to keep thinking about that. Today, we're going to see how actually Jesus extends a very powerful invitation to each of us, an invitation to be his disciples and to enter into this whole life, all in discipleship relationship with Jesus himself. Now, uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Calvin preached on Mark 8. I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, uh, but he preached on Mark 8, the cost of following Christ. And he taught about how being on team Jesus requires sacrifice. Dying to self, taking up your cross, rejecting the ways of the world. And he said that it wouldn't be easy, but he told us that it was worth it. 
Now we got that message paired with Jesus' invitation to repent and believe the good news, and honestly, it probably leaves us with some questions. How, how do we go about doing that? Right? What exactly are we saying yes to when we say yes to Jesus? Well, our passage today will expound upon that invitation a little bit more through the real-life testimony of some regular people who said yes to Jesus and whose lives were changed forever. So let me pray for us before we read our scripture today. Lord God, we thank you so much for, um, for this morning, Lord, uh, just worshiping with the church family. Um, how great you are, Lord. How glorious, how majestic, how beautiful. And we thank you, Lord, that we got the reminder this morning that we can keep running to you again and again. That you are so merciful, that you are so gracious, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this amazing invitation to go deeper with you. And so this morning, as we read your word, I pray for open uh, eyes and ears and hearts to receive the message and receive the invitation that you have given to each and every one of us. May you be glorified here through these words. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. All right. Let's read starting in Mark 1, 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, this might be a pretty familiar passage to most of you here. Right? It's the calling of Jesus' first disciples. So you've got Simon, who we later know as Peter, and his brother Andrew. And then we also have James and John, who are also brothers. And it says, sons of a man named Zebedee. And from this information here, we gather that these men are fishermen. That is their main occupation. That's their identity. That's how they made a living, provided for their, themselves and their family and their parents, right? To them, this, this was life. And honestly, probably, they were probably pretty content in, in their circumstance. I mean, working in uh, a thriving fishing industry, right? It provided stability, security, right? They knew uh, how they were gonna get food on the table. Being fishermen was a part of their core identity. Now, verse 16 says, Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee, and he first sees Simon and Andrew fishing, casting a net into the lake, and he simply says, come, follow me. Three words, a simple yet powerful invitation, come, follow me. And then what follows is a, is a promise to make them fishers of people, or fishers of men. And it says in the text that all four men had the same response. I see two observations. Number one, they responded immediately. Right? Verse 18 says, at once. There was no hesitation, at least none recorded. 
There was no bartering terms with Jesus, like, yes, Jesus, I, I want to come, but can I come in two weeks when I finish this thing? Or can I have dinner with my family first? Like, they, there was none of that recorded. It just says that they responded immediately. Not only did they respond immediately, but number two, they responded wholeheartedly. They left their nets. They left their father in the boat with the hired hands. Essentially, they left their stability and security and their main identity and left their family and and chose to follow Jesus into a future that was unknown at the time. Isn't that incredible? We read Mark's account and we see this this simple invitation made by Jesus and an immediate response from these four men to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now, a little bit of context here. Uh, In the other gospels, uh, they kind of fill in the gaps a bit, uh, shed some light on this interaction. And, And we see that these men had actually got they had a chance to get to know Jesus a little bit before this. Right? They had had moments to listen to, consider, and even interact with Jesus already at this point. And I mention this not to take away from their powerful response to Jesus, but to give us a little bit of context, right? to ground us in reality just a little bit. The disciples did not just follow some stranger that they had never heard of until that very moment and just banked on him being someone very, very important. They did not blindly make this decision, though it did take faith to say yes. These disciples had met Jesus. They talked to him. They heard inklings here and there of who he might be. They had some sort of understanding or idea of who Jesus was, and they were compelled to respond like they did. Now, no, they did not understand everything about Jesus and what he was going to do from the very beginning. And scripture will gladly point that out, right? All of their mistakes and not understanding what Jesus was doing. But at this point, they had bought into a vision of Jesus and his message enough to say yes and to devote their entire lives to following him and learning from him as disciples. And what they enter into after this point is what we call discipleship, right? The invitation, come, follow me, was there. But what exactly is he inviting them to? He's inviting them into discipleship, to be his disciples, his students, his apprentices, if you want to use that word. He's inviting them to study under him and learn from him how to be like him and how to do what he did. And church, this invitation was not just for these four disciples in the Bible or the 12 disciples. Jesus' invitation is extended to you and me today as well. Jesus is saying, come, follow me, be my disciple Enter into this whole life, all in discipleship relationship with me. Now, what does this mean? Well, in those days, this concept of discipleship was pretty common. Uh, teachers throughout Israel were called rabbis. And when a you know, promising pupil or student found themselves drawn to a particular rabbi's 
uh, line of teaching, then they would ask permission to become this rabbi's disciple and follow them. And if they were accepted, then they would essentially become disciples and they would devote their lives to learning from the rabbi's teaching. Well, here, Jesus, the the greatest rabbi of all time, uh, is here, and he's actually the one who starts this process. He's the one who chooses his own disciples, not the ones who were the most educated or prominent or studious or promising, right? But four regular guys or fishermen. And this would have been radical at the time. And he invites Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. And they do. And they leave everything to become his disciples. This became their new primary identity, right? They weren't just fishermen anymore. They weren't just sons of so-and-so or fill-in-the-blank, right? When they said yes to following Jesus, they became disciples, lifelong learners of teacher Jesus. Do you see that? Right? They were no longer defined just by their occupation or their family status or their hobbies or whatever. They essentially gave that up and said, from now on, my main identity is disciple. And everything else will follow that. Now, this meant that they spent a lot of time being with Jesus, imitating him, learning from him how to be like him and how to live in his kingdom. It was like a 24-7 uh, training, training camp, boot camp, whatever, where they would learn firsthand how to become like their teacher. Now, like I said, right, this meant that they were with him. They spent so much time with him. They traveled around from town to town. They listened to his teachings and witnessed miracles. They ate with him, and they asked him really honest questions, like, Jesus, how do you pray? Right? Or what did that parable really mean? You know, really they were hungry to learn from him so that they eventually could do what he did. And we fast forward the story a little bit, and they did, right? Remember the promise attached to Jesus' imitation come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's exactly what happened. His disciples eventually became leaders of the church. They went on to join him in his mission to proclaim the good news and preach the kingdom. They helped the sick and healed people. They loved the disenfranchised. They devoted their whole lives to making disciples and fishing for people just like Jesus. But more than the great things that they ended up doing in his name, they became changed people who had the character of Christ himself. Remember Simon Peter? Uh, he, he's often known in the scriptures as uh, the one who always uh, maybe puts his foot in his mouth or you know, says things without thinking, a little reactive and a little rash and a little rough around the edges. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. By the end, we fast forward and you see that he becomes a changed person, right? He became a prominent and wise leader in the church, fully committed to Jesus and the kingdom. He encouraged believers to endure persecution and remain faithful to the end. 
or James and John. They're known as the sons of thunder, right? They, they were the ones who uh, had their mom ask Jesus if they could sit on his left and right, right? They were pridefully wanting to be the greatest. Well, by the end, they have become humble servants, just like their teacher who modeled servant leadership and getting down on your knees to wash one another's feet. That's what happens in discipleship to Jesus. There's both a clarification of your calling and a formation of your character. There's both a clarification of your calling and a formation of your character. He's not only going to give you big, important responsibilities to do for his kingdom, but he's going to form you and refine your character so that you become the type of people who can actually do what he's calling you to who can actually carry that calling out. He's going to prepare you for great things that he's called you to do in his name. Does that make sense? So it's not just, you know, follow Jesus and now you have this great calling ahead of you. It's this process of changing to become the type of person who can do what he's calling you to do. Jesus is calling us to whole life, all in discipleship to him. And really the question is, are we willing to say yes? If Jesus were here and said, come and follow me, are we willing to say yes? Now we've unpacked the invitation and what discipleship looks like. But you still might be thinking, why are we even covering this passage today? Like, I'm already a Christian. What's the point? Right? I want to I say this. Do you know that today, somehow, in our world, in our culture, it has become that you can identify as a Christian, but not really be a disciple of Jesus? That you can identify as a Christian, but not really be a disciple of Jesus? It wasn't always like that. Like back in the day, the the name Christian was essentially uh, another synonym for the word disciple, right? In the New Testament, those two refer to the same thing. In fact, really, um, Christian is not really mentioned many times. It's actually the word disciple that's used. And so a true Christian was understood to be a disciple of Jesus. There was no differentiating between the two. Fortunately, in our world today, somewhere along the way, there arose this notion that you can be a Christian without being a disciple, that that was okay. Let me illustrate it this way. A woman came up to her pastor after a morning service. The pastor had apparently challenged the people to be disciples. This did not sit well with her. She said in response, Pastor, I just want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a disciple. I like my life the way it is. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I will be with him when I die. Why do I have to be a disciple? So somewhere along the way, those two terms were divorced from each other. And what happens is we seem to get two options or two levels of commitment for following Jesus. You can either be a Christian or you could be a disciple if you want to go deeper. And we've settled for that. But that is never what Jesus intended when he made that invitation. 
the reality is that Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to call people into discipleship. It isn't just about doing all the right religious things like going to church on Sunday or giving your offering, though that is very important. It's about pledging your allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, Lord and Savior. Saying, yes, Jesus, be Lord of my life. You are in charge of my job, my family, my future, my hopes and dreams. Jesus, be Lord over it all. It's about pledging your life to Jesus as teacher, right? committing your life to following him and learning from him how to be like him. Right? People with the character of Christ. People who love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. People who care for the hurting and the marginalized. People who are humble and filled with integrity and exemplify the fruits of the Holy Spirit because we have been transformed by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who have learned how to be like Jesus and whose highest aim or goal in life is to do what he did. That's what we're called to. That's what we're invited to. If you have been a Christian for many years and this is the first time you've heard the invitation or the call spelled out like this, I'm sorry. I think we've been missing something because Jesus is inviting you to more. He's inviting you to go deeper and to be all in for him. Now, like I said before, many of us have heard this story before, right? We leave feeling amazed at these four fishermen, regular guys who answered Jesus' invitation by immediately and wholeheartedly leaving behind their nets and their father and following Jesus. It's, it's an incredible testimony. But a lot of us today wonder why we can't do the same thing. Like why we might hear today's message, think it sounds great, but go home exactly the same way that we came. A lot of us might be like that woman who asked that pastor and said, I just, I like my life the way it is. I just want to be a Christian. Is that enough? Why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we respond like them? What's the problem? It's not enough to just tell you that you should follow Jesus and expect you to just be able to do it. Because the reality is it's, it's not that easy sometimes. I don't want to leave you with that. What do we do? What can we do or what can we talk about this morning that will be helpful in moving forward in your discipleship to Jesus? Well, I want to introduce a a framework for you. It's called VIM or V-I-M. Can everyone say that with me? Say VIM. VIM. Okay, that's just a check-in to make sure you're not falling asleep. V-I-M, VIM, okay? VIM stands for vision, intention, and means. And it was a framework that Dallas Willard constructed to help unpack the process by which true change or transformation happens. Last year, our our staff read one of his books, uh, Renovation of the Heart, and we all found this framework really helpful. And so I hope that it will be helpful to you this morning. Let's start with V for vision. In order for you to say yes to something, you have to be bought in, right? 
We need to understand clearly what we are saying yes to. So if you're wondering about this whole discipleship thing, you've got to ask yourself, do I buy into this vision? Do I believe who Jesus says he is? Do I believe that he is worthy to be followed? Do I believe that he really is worth being all in for? The reality is, if you answered no to any of those questions, then it will be pretty hard to begin a discipleship relationship with Jesus. I mean, it will be pretty hard to be like Simon, Andrew, James, and John, right? The reason they were able to respond at once and immediately leaving things behind is because they had cultivated a vision of life in the kingdom of God with Jesus, right? They believed that Jesus was the one that they had been waiting for, the promised Messiah who was going to save them. And again, granted their ideas of how that would look like or what that would look like may have been a little bit off, but they still viewed him as worthy to to give everything for. And so it begins with vision. Do you have a vision for Jesus and what he's doing? Are you bought into it? If you're stuck there, uh, I encourage you, and that's okay, I encourage you to spend some time going back to Jesus. Get to know him a little bit. See what he was all about. Read the gospel accounts again and allow yourself to get to know this person and be mesmerized by who he is. What do you notice about his personality? What do you notice about his interactions with people? What did he say? Do you agree? Do you like what he said? Do you not? You know, get to know the person who is making this invitation to you and start to cultivate a vision for Jesus and his kingdom. Because without that initial vision, there's no way that we're just gonna jump to leaving everything for him, right? So cultivate a vision for Jesus and get to know him. Let's move on to I, intention. I stands for intention. Okay, so once you have the vision, the I has to, has to come in. We must actually intend to follow Jesus. We must actually intend to make a decision to say yes. And part of intention involves, you know, actively making plans or making a decision to follow up with that vision. It's not enough to just believe things about Jesus. Following him requires intending and choosing to actually do it. Choosing to actually learn from him, obey him, and do what he did. So ask yourself, have you intentionally made the decision to follow Jesus? This is where a lot of us, I think, stop and make very little progress. Um, How often do we intend to do things and they just don't happen? because maybe we're not disciplined, or we didn't plan well, or we never really intended to do what we said we were gonna do. I I do this a lot, actually, with exercising. Um, I've been telling Stephen, like, oh yeah, I wanna exercise more, get in better shape, and I believe in the vision. I think it's great, you know? I believe it is good to be healthy and and all those things. Um, And every week, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll get on the bike this week. Um, 
and the week goes by and um, I have not touched the bike at all. <laughs> I have not actually intended to do what I said I would do. The same thing happens when we talk about following Jesus. It, just saying, I'm gonna follow Jesus without an active decision to do what we say, it just never works out. Following Jesus is not something that you can do by accident or that just happens automatically to you without your willing intention. You must make the decision to follow Jesus. Now, I know that there are many things that uh, can get in the way of this, whether it's, you know, busyness or procrastination and all those things. I think those are easier to, to handle, like just prioritize or, you know, get accountability or something like that. But I think the big thing that keeps us in this step is honestly fear. Right? You might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe he's the Messiah. But you're afraid, like the woman I was talking about earlier, you're afraid of what you might have to give up in order to follow him. You're afraid that he might actually uh, radically change your life and like your life the way that it is. I get it. It's scary. And so my encouragement to you, if you're stuck in this step, is take those fears to Jesus. Honestly, talk to him. Pray to him. Open yourself up and allow him to show you that it's going to be okay. Ask him to give you faith to trust in his plans. And the, the disciples really had to do the same. They had to make the decision, and they did, right? But could there have been maybe a little bit of, of fear of the unknown? Maybe. They were human just like us. I know it doesn't record it, but they were human just like us. But what we see here is very clearly in the scriptures is that they said yes and they took the next step. We serve a God who cares and empathizes with us. Remember the story of the rich young ruler? He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had the vision of the kingdom. And it says in this scripture that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. There's the invitation. And this man, it says, walks away sad because he had great wealth. He walks away sad because he's wrestling with this step. And yet it still says Jesus looked at him with compassion and loved him. Jesus wants to process and hold your fears with you. He wants you to say yes. And you bet he's looking at you with love. So my encouragement is talk to him. Give him your fears. Let him show you that he is greater than all the things that you're clutching onto in this world. Intention. We must intend to actually follow Jesus. Lastly, we've got M, the means. This is the how, the steps, the way that we actually go about uh, fulfilling that vision or being Jesus' disciples. For the first disciples, it, it seems a lot simpler. 
<laughs> Jesus asks them to follow him. They make the decision, and then they go, and they literally follow him from town to town. Right? Just like the rabbis and disciples back then, Jesus' disciples literally followed him every single day, learning what he taught them, yes, but also doing what he did. Now, I know that seems much harder today because we can't literally do that now. We can't just travel from city to city and shadow him um, like an internship, right? But there are ways to learn from him by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of his word. There are still ways to grow in our discipleship to him. What first comes to mind are actually the spiritual disciplines, right? Training ourselves through these practices to become more like Jesus and to have or develop the character of Christ. Now remember, these are not ends in and of themselves. They are, they are means to an end. They are simply tools or resources that we can practice in order to grow in our discipleship to Jesus. That might look like, this is a very non-exhaustive list, there's many more, uh, reading and studying your Bible, right? Reading not just to check the box off every day, but reading to get to know him, reading to see what he was all about, right? Prayer. Oh, there's so many times in, in the Gospels where you actually see Jesus went off to pray himself, right? He spent the whole night praying to the Father, or he took his disciples to go pray, right? This is something that Jesus himself did. He had a relationship, a deep relationship with the Father in prayer. That's something that we can do to learn how to do that. Fasting, worship, Silence and solitude, serving and generosity, simplicity, all these different ways that we have, tools that we have access to to help us become more like him, to get closer to him. And obviously the list goes on. I mean, this is not a message on the spiritual disciplines, but if you are more interested in this practical stuff, like come and talk to me after service and, and I can share with you some of the stuff that people at CLC are doing in groups uh, to really grow, to practice these disciplines, to grow in our discipleship with Christ. Go talk to Stephen. He is super passionate about this stuff. He's pro it's probably his favorite topic. And so if you want to figure out the means, like go talk to one of us. There are things that we can do to practically move closer towards Christ. So that's it. Vim, vision, intention, means. Where are you in that process? Are you stuck in the vision? Are you bought in but you know, haven't actually intended to make the decision because you've got some fears? Or maybe you're bought in, you've made the decision, but think, now what? Now what do I do? Honestly, identifying where you are in this process is, is a really great first step. It's going to help you know how to move forward. So if you do anything today, if you remember anything today, ask yourself, where am I? What is the next step that I can take today? For me, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I went regularly to church, but I will admit my understanding of following Jesus and, and discipleship was very incomplete I believed in the gospel, I believed that Jesus was my savior, but I had not really grasped what pledging my life and my allegiance to Jesus really meant until 
maybe a few years ago. I had the vision, but I was stuck on the intention and maybe a bit afraid to let go of control. Like I, I really like control over my life. I don't know if you can relate to me. I had plans of how my life would go and I just didn't want to let go of that. And sometimes I still have those fears. I still have that uh, hesitancy to let go and to trust. But as I grew in my knowledge and love for the Lord, he was kind and he was gracious and he helped me to surrender those fears to him, to, tr to trust him. And uh, I was able to finally say, whatever you want from me, Jesus, I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. Now, today, as I stand here, I'm on the mean step. Uh, I'm practicing and learning and failing and getting back up again and again. Um, it's hard. It's hard work. Uh, it's, it's, it's grueling when, when Jesus, you know, tries to form your character. But I'm really trying to open myself up to the process, the, this process and to be changed by the Holy Spirit training to become a more loving person, a more patient person, a less prideful and selfish person. I can go on and on about all the things I need to work on. But I'm learning day by day what it means to follow Jesus. And honestly, it is, it is the best thing that I could do with my life and my time. Church, Jesus' invitation to repent and believe, to follow him, to participate in, in whole life, all in discipleship to him. It's available to everyone, and it's available to you today. Right? He's inviting you to be with him, to learn from him, to give your allegiance to him and him alone. He may not be calling you to literally quit your jobs, though maybe for some of you he is. He may not be telling you to leave your parents and, and go do missions overseas, though maybe that is in the cards for some of you in the future. It's not going to look the same for everyone. But discipleship to Jesus does mean pledging your life and your allegiance to him. It does mean that you are now student and he is your teacher it does mean that you set aside your agenda and submit to his. It means that your life priority now is, is Jesus. And so everything else, which are still important, by the way, your, your job, your family, your kids, your purpose, is now seen through the lens of Christ. That's what it means. And no one said it was going to be easy. I mean, Pastor Calvin literally preached on the cost of discipleship two weeks ago. But what I can tell you, and what he would probably tell you, and what the disciples would tell you is that it's worth it. This is worth your life. So my final question, will you accept his invitation? Will you say yes to whole life, all in discipleship to Jesus today? Because he's here, and he's inviting you, come follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you are Lord and Savior and teacher and master. And we thank you, Lord, that you are inviting 
each and every one of us, just regular people, uh, into a deeper relationship with you. Thank you for wanting more with us, Lord. I pray that today that we would step out in faith um, and say yes to you. Lord, I pray for anybody who's uh, stuck in that fear stage, because I know that's real, and I know that it's scary. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to give our fears to you, to trust you. I pray, Lord, if we don't have a vision for who you are, that you would uh, reveal yourself to us. Help us to, to fall in love with you again and again. And Lord, for those of us who are trying so hard to, um, to grow in, in, in likeness of you, in your character, that you would surround us with support, surround us with people to encourage us, that we would walk this walk uh, with other people, and that you would be changing us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, for this invitation once again. And I pray um, that this just doesn't end here, but that we as a whole church um, would commit to walking faithfully with you and pledging our lives to you uh, each and every day, Lord. Thank you for who you are. We love you. And in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.